Should the Bills trade Stefan Diggs? Should they trade up for Sauce Gardner? We examine all of it today on Locked On Bills. You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Tuesday to you, and thank you for making Locked On Bills your first listen every day, or if you're joining us on the YouTube channel, your first watch every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. They have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. It's time for Herd Mentality, which is the weekly episode where you take control of what we talk about here on the podcast by sending in your questions, comments, takes, whatever you have regarding the Bills, and I answer those things here on the podcast. We have some really good stuff to get into. Let's get started. The first one was sent in by a lot of people, like a ton of people asked me about the possibility of trading up for Sauce Gardner, the cornerback out of Cincinnati. And we'll talk a lot more about Sauce Gardner later this week when I give you the cornerback primer. So I did the running backs last week, did wide receivers yesterday. We'll do cornerbacks later this week, and I'll really break down Sauce Gardner. But he's arguably the best cornerback in this class, potentially a very high draft pick, and obviously would address the Bills' glaring need at cornerback. And so some quick thoughts here on this topic. First of all, I do think you have to be careful about this idea because the fuel behind this is the belief that the New York Giants want to trade out of number five or number seven and accumulate additional draft capital for the 2023 draft. And so if you're talking about the Bills going from 25 to seven. You're giving up your 2023 first round pick. You're giving up 25. You're probably giving up a meaningful day two pick either this year or next year. You're going to give up some significant draft capital to get this done. And so I want to be careful about that idea for a number of reasons. First of all, do you think it's appropriate for the Bills to give up more for a player in Sauce Gardner that has never played a down in the NFL than what the Rams gave up to acquire Jalen Ramsey, who's arguably the best cornerback in the league, because you're going to trade up. It's going to cost you more to trade up from 25 to 7 than it would be for Jalen Ramsey. Is that responsible? Do you think that's a good idea? I personally don't. I think that's I think that's a a mistake. Now, could would Sauce Gardner potentially be a major answer for the Bills? Yes. He has that potential. But you're going to give away quite a bit to go get him, and you're going to give up more than what it took for the Rams to trade for Jalen Ramsey. The other thing that I want to say here when we talk about giving up draft capital is that outside of the existence of Josh Allen on the roster, 
the sustainability of the Bills as a contender is finding meaningful contributions in the draft to have some economic contracts on the roster. When you talk about trading away your premium draft picks, you are stripping yourself of those opportunities to find economic contracts. You can't pay every single starter on your team starter money. You have to find players on rookie contracts that fill critical roles. And if you're talking about trading away three high picks, two ones and a two, two ones and two, three, something like that to go from 25 to seven, you are ridding yourself of your best chances to find meaningful contributors on rookie deals. And so while the big glaring thing is this need at cornerback, just remember what you are taking away to go get that player. And you're talking about trading away more to move up for Sauce Gardner than the Rams gave up for Jalen Ramsey. I think that's crazy. And that's what I said. That's what I said back when the Saints traded up from 27 to 14 with the, what team did they trade up with? I can't remember what team they traded up with, but they gave away two first-round picks and like a fourth-round pick to move up to draft Marcus Davenport, a pass rusher out of UTSA. And the point that I made at the time is, what, what are they doing? They gave up more for Marcus Davenport, or at least a comparable package, than what the Bears gave up to get Khalil Mack. And I'm like, this is nuts to me. And Marcus Davenport has become a good player for the Saints, but it took three years. His first two seasons, he was mostly inconsistent and didn't make an impact. And so they squandered their opportunity to use those other assets to build around Drew Brees in his final years as their quarterback. So I have questions about this type of a, an idea. The next one comes from Baltic Thunder, who says, I know it's easier said than done, but if you were in Bean's draft chair, would you approach the draft with a less is more type mentality? Do we really need to use all of our picks, or would we be better suited to be aggressive in the second through fourth rounds to go get your guys? I like this question, Baltic Thunder, and I think it kind of ties together with what we just discussed in this idea to move up for Sauce Gardner. I would be very willing to move around if I was Brandon Bean. And that's what you do. You stack your board. And I like to stack boards horizontally. And when you do that, you have a really clear understanding of the values, right? You want to get good value with every pick. And so if you're sitting there at pick 25 and you don't have a first-round grade left on your board, move back. And if you're sitting there at pick 57 and you're worried about a second-round valuation being available for you, move up and go get a guy. I think that the Bills should be open to moving back and up. And I'd be most interested in moving up in those middle rounds, second, third, fourth rounds. That's where I think the sweet spot of this draft is. And so maybe you move back from 25, 
get into that sweet spot, give yourself from additional assets to then use to move up in the second, third, and fourth rounds. But I think the Bills should try to come away with probably at least six draft picks to add to this roster. There are 25 players that are going to be added to this 90-man roster at some point here in the next three months. And so some of that will be UDFAs. Some of that will be you know, veterans they sign off the street. Some of that will be draft picks. And you want to get the best 90 players you possibly can to go to camp with. So I don't know that the Bills need to pick eight players or, you know, they had nine draft picks to start this conversation, but they gave away one for, for Case Keenum. So I am I am for some movement, but I think you have to just let the let things play out, look at your board, and move around to make sure that when you're picking, you're getting good value. The next one comes from Grader, who says, do you think the Bills might draft a wide receiver in the first round? And if he turns out to be really good, do you think – they trade digs after the season. So I talked a little bit about this yesterday in the wide receiver podcast. And one of the things that I talked about was the recent trades that we've seen. I mean, in the last month, Devontae Adams traded away from the Packers. Tyreek Hill traded away from the Chiefs. Amari Cooper traded away from the Cowboys. And I forgot one. Robert Woods was traded away from the Rams. And what's the common thing about all four of the teams that traded away those top receivers. They all have quarterbacks that are getting paid massive amounts of money. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers in his new deal, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford in his new deal. And so there is very much a trend that we're seeing across the NFL where teams that have invested big time money in their quarterback have had to part ways with wide receivers that are expensive. And so, yeah, we need to really consider this possibility as, as it exists with Stefan Diggs. My number one concern with this entire idea of trading away Stefan Diggs is Josh Allen. I mean, you just saw in the past couple of weeks, SportsCenter on, on Twitter, they tweeted something out about Trayvon Diggs and Stefan Diggs playing for the same team. And they shared a couple of tweets that Trayvon Diggs, that you know, he shared about, you know, he'd love to see number 14 in Dallas. And Josh Allen responded, no. Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs are tight. They like working together. They, they work together great. They're a big reason why the Bills have had an elite offense over the last two seasons. So you're going to take away your quarterback's go-to guy? Well, it sounds crazy, but they did it to Aaron Rodgers. They did it to... to Dak Prescott, they did it to Patrick Mahomes. So there's some reality here. And the benefit here is that you reset the money. You get younger, you get cheaper, and you get deeper at the position. These receivers are getting paid a ton of money where they're pushing $30 million a season. That's what Diggs is going to want. He's going to want 25, 26, 27, 28, maybe $30 million a season. You start talking about also paying Gabriel Davis, who is trending towards a $20 million a year player, and are you really going to have $45, $50 million tied up in your top two receivers? Are you going to have like $80 to $90 million tied up in your QB1 and top two receivers? These are the questions teams are asking themselves, and they're saying, we can't do that. The best thing we can do is, is say, hey, we enjoyed this asset. 
So if you're the Chiefs, we enjoyed having Tyreek Hill six consecutive Pro Bowl seasons. We won a Super Bowl. We went to two Super Bowls. We went to four AFC Championship games. But we, we've, we've done all we can with this asset. We've maximized it, and now we need this asset to be used to be able to help replenish our football team because we are paying a lot of players premium money. And they said, look, we, we love Tyreek Hill. I'm sure the Chiefs would love to continue having Tyreek Hill. But when he made the demand to get paid what he, you know, what he got, $30 million a season, they said, yeah, we can't do this anymore. We need to take this opportunity to gain all this extra draft capital and cap space to balance out our roster. Stefan Diggs is going to turn 29 in November. I think he has four or five elite seasons remaining. And the player that I looked at was Marvin Harrison, who I think had kind of a drop-off after his age 34 season. And so I, with that in mind, I think, I think Stefan Diggs is going to age well as a player because of his route running, because of his hands, because of his work ethic. I think he's going to age very, very well. But you're, you're talking about probably four or five seasons remaining. And so I would. I would love to pay him at a, you know, four years, uh, I don't know, four years, $120 million or something like that. Sorry if my math's off there. But you have to ask yourself about how you're balancing out your roster and what concessions you're going to have to make elsewhere to make that possible. You have to ask yourself, what are the consequences of keeping him? What are the consequences of losing him? And there's a lot to consider. It's not an easy thing to discuss, but I think we need to start having this conversation to flesh it out because either the Bills are going to pay Stefan Diggs what he wants and they're going to have a really tight situation with this roster or they're going to flip him and bring back a bunch of assets to help get younger, cheaper, and deeper not only at receiver, but throughout the roster. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your sports betting needs and info. Find all the latest developments, including this week's Masters Championship odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action because BetOnline is where the game starts. Let's move on to the next one here. It comes from Daniel. One very similar was sent in by Evan. Daniel says, could you give us some scouting reports or cross-checks you had done for Nick McLeod and Elijah Griffin from last year? I believe you had watched McLeod at times throughout his college career and shared your thoughts in the spring, but I think it would be awesome to contextualize them against perhaps where they'd fall in this year's class. Of course, both were undrafted guys, so not expecting a ton, but hey, so was Levi Wallace. So Elijah Griffin, Nick McLeod, two young corners on the Bills roster. Uh, both were undrafted free agents that the Bills had in their practice squad last year. Matter of fact, Nick McLeod got signed off of the Bills practice squad to the Bengals and is now back to Buffalo. So I, I understand the question. It's like, are there some diamonds in the rough here that can be Levi Wallace 2.0 and kind of ease this concern at CB2? So for Elijah Griffin, he's a corner out of USC. I had a midday three grade on him. Uh, he is a slender build guy with below average athleticism. Hello, that sounds a lot like Levi Wallace. Scrappy player, 
decent ball skills, but he's got physical limitations. I had a mid-day three grade on him. I'd, I'd have the same grade on him this year. Nick McLeod uh, was out of Notre Dame, and I didn't actually write him up because we do regions within the draft network, and so Notre Dame is not in my region, but he was at NC State before Notre Dame, and so I watched him a ton for like three years in the ACC. And you know, you saw the athleticism, you saw good ball skills. He's got good size. Like he's physically different than a lot of the corners we've seen the Bills bring in. He's actually got good size and athleticism. But uh, he wasn't consistent in coverage. Kind of modest instincts. He gave away. He gave up separation, and you know, he made plays, but gave him up as well. I thought he was kind of an up and down player in college. I think he would be a, a late day three guy as well. So I'm not sure that changing the calendar from 2022 to from 2021 changes where I would, you know, value those players. And I think they're developmental corners and that's exactly the role that they're in. And at this point, I'm not really counting on them to be answers for the bills. The next one comes from Manor. Manor says your episode about draft picks making the final roster points out that the Bills recently lost Jack Anderson, Rashad Wild Goose, and Jake Fromm from their practice squad. Can you update us on how those guys are developing with their new teams and what their prospects look like going forward? So Jake Fromm got signed off the Bills practice squad to the New York Giants, and he played a little bit for the Giants last year. And look, you guys know I'm not a big Jake Fromm fan, and you you, you certainly can't define his career based off getting signed off the Bills practice squad and thrust into the lineup with the Giants, given the entire situation there with the coaching staff, the offensive line, the weapons. I mean, what what could you possibly expect from him? So he's currently an undrafted, or excuse me, or uh, unrestricted free agent. Anybody could sign Jake Fromm right now, and they haven't yet. He was not tendered by the Giants, so he is free to sign with any team. And so I'm I'm thinking he'll probably get a chance to be a camp arm for somebody but he's kind of a practice squad quarterback. Jack Anderson was signed to the Philadelphia Eagles. He actually started week 18 at center for them, and he's going to compete for a roster spot this year. So he's one of their developing interior offensive linemen. And then Rashad Wild Goose with the Jets. He played two snaps for the Jets on defense last year, 28 snaps on special teams. He's very much competing for a roster spot. And they signed uh, DJ Reed. They gave him a decent amount of money, so that kind of pushes him down the the depth chart a little bit. But you know, he can grow and develop, and you know, maybe be a, a reserve player for them this season. The next one comes from Zach, who says, "What are your thoughts about Houston cornerback Marcus Jones as far as a fit goes for the Bills? I see him projected primarily as a nickel option with extreme returner upside, but with guys like Waddle." And Hill in the division, I like him as a potential matchup piece who could solidify our returner situation. Do you think he could play reps outside? And would you like him as a third-round pick for the Bills? So I really like Marcus Jones. He's a good, good football player. Um, you mentioned the return ability. Yes, he's, he's the best return guy in this class. Punt and kick return. Explosive. I think he has nine career return touchdowns from his time in in college. And yes, I do think he's an, a, a nickel option. I mean, he's 5'8, 174 pounds with 28 and 7, 28 and 7 eighth inch arms. I mean, he's he, that's you're not playing outside corner in the NFL with those measurables. The challenge is 
You're talking about a third-round pick. You're not taking Taron Johnson off the field. And, I mean, the Bills really don't play the matchups. They don't do that very often. So I don't know. Like, I've I've... I've asked for this, and it's not normally not been with a smaller guy. I've kind of asked for like different options in the slot if the Bills wanted to go like big nickel from time to time to play the matchups like against a Mike Gesecki or these flex tight ends or you know bigger slot receivers, and they don't do it. They play Taron Johnson. So I don't know that the Bills would do this because he's not going to play outside and they're not going to take Taron Johnson off the field. So you'd literally be drafting him as your backup slot corner and your return specialist. Is that worth a third-round pick? It's a good question. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is for the Bills because of the Taron Johnson factor, but for teams that need, like if you need a starting slot and you need a return guy, yeah, third-round pick for Marcus Jones makes a lot of sense. But you have to be reminded that he's 5'8", 174 pounds, and sub-29-inch arms. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey an LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and save money when using Rock Auto. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? They have everything you can need. Brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in there. How did you hear about us? Box so they know that we sent you. You have amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need over at rockauto.com. All right, we got a few more to get to here today. The next one comes from 505 Roots, who says if you could recommend, excuse me, if you could recommend one sports book for Bills Mafia to read, what would it be? Appreciate this question, but real quick, I got to give a plug for my own book, Go Bills. It comes out later this year. It's going to start shipping in that August-September window, and it's available right now for you to pre-order at buffalobillsbook.com. I've talked about this a few times on the podcast, but not recently, so I want to get a little plug in for my own book here. It's basically me telling the story of the Buffalo Bills through my own vision. Right, I go season by season, and I give you the story of the season, starting lineup, statistical leaders, pro bowlers, key additions year by year. So there's a there's a chapter on every single season in the history of the team. Plus there's breakout stories. There are um my all decade picks for you know my all decade teams. There is so much going on. And so I'm excited to to uh for that to drop later this year. And so to give you an idea, like here is the book that's part of the series. This is the uh the Kings of the North. This is the Minnesota Vikings version of the book that I wrote for the Bills. And you can see right here what it's going to look like. Uh, and I'm trying to show you on the YouTube channel on this on the camera. It's kind of difficult. But uh, season recap, you got your, your season, statistical leaders, key additions, the starting lineups, it's all there. So check out 
Kings of the North to give you an idea of what the Bills book is going to look like. But you can pre-order it right now, buffalobillsbook.com, buffalobillsbook.com. You'll get it in time for next uh, Christmas. Great for any Buffalo Bills fan in your life. It's a type of book that you're going to want to have a bookshelf. You want to have on a coffee table. And at any point, you want to just pick it up and be reminded of what happened in 1977 or 2001 or 2015 or 1962. It's all there for you. And and it's uh, it's been an awesome project becoming a student of this football team. It's made me a better podcaster, and and uh, I've learned so much. And so I'm excited for you guys to get your hands on it, and you can learn my story of of the Buffalo Bills, me telling the story. There's great pictures. It's awesome. BuffaloBillsBook.com, a lot of pre-orders, a lot of pre-order incentives for you to check out. So would love your consideration. But um, the book that came to mind, and I've read a lot of a lot of sports books that I, I would recommend, but the one that I I wanted to highlight is one of my favorites that I've read. And it is a uh, quarterback whisperer by Bruce Arians. And it's so good. It's Bruce's story, which is completely fascinating. His um his path to becoming an NFL head coach is phenomenal. I have so much appreciation for his leadership style and um just his overall approach and, and how important it is for him to connect with his assistants and put his assistants in good positions how he connects with his teams, how he connects with his quarterbacks, those relationships, and he did his own thing. He's very much a different type of guy, and I have so much respect for him and his story and what he's been able to accomplish. So I would encourage you all to read QB Whisperer by Bruce Arians. Uh, two books on my summer reading that I can't wait to get to this year after the draft, uh, Super Bowl Blueprints by Vic Carucci and Bill Polian. They take a look into some of the most successful like I wouldn't call them dynasties, but like runs in the NFL and talks about the blueprint and how they built those teams. Can't wait to read that. And then Rock in the Rock Pile. Um, as I wrote this book about the Bills that comes out later this year, I've learned a lot about those early Buffalo Bills, and, and I want to learn more, to be honest with you. And so Rock in the Rock Pile is a really comprehensive look at that. So I want to I want to dive into those. I guess that'd be like 60s, 50s, and 60s Bills teams and, and learn about them a little bit more. So that's on my summer reading list, at least from a football perspective. I got a couple other books I want to read, but football perspective, that's what's on my summer reading list. Next one comes from Dan. Dan says, when prepping for the draft, how much time do GMs allocate to looking at the needs of other teams to jump up or move down? Specifically, do the needs of other teams impact the pre-draft and during draft trades that the Bills may make to get the guy they want or gain capital? in terms of future picks. So it's funny, uh, Brandon Bean actually recently spoke about this, and I think it was at the NFL Scouting Combine. He said that what he does is he literally assigns all of the uh, front office people that he works with underneath him and the personnel side of things. He assigns franchises to them for them to serve as like the, you know, the mock GM and says, hey, you need to learn everything about these teams, and we're going to go through different scenarios, mock draft exercises to do exactly what you asked in the question. You know, like, be completely in tune with their needs and, and what they might do in the draft. And so this is a big part of what every team does. And, and specifically for Brandon Bean, he he assigns like, hey, Lake Dawson, you might have four teams and you know, Dennis Hickey might have four teams and 
you know, however, however he separates it out, uh, is it's interesting. We do, we do a similar thing at the draftnetwork.com where we have six people in our scouting department. We all have different teams that we're responsible for to know intimately. And that helps us to create mock drafts and work with our team needs on the website and stuff like that. So, uh, it's definitely a big part of it for sure. And, um, he assigns different teams to different front office people and make sure that they are in tune with all of the possibilities. Next one comes from Mr. Furious, who says, I just enjoyed listening to your wide receiver primer. You said you did this from the Bills' perspective. My question is that given the Bills don't believe they have a punt returner on the roster, how how far should they be willing to push a wide receiver up their board due to return skills? I think it should matter. Um, it's a nice bonus, and maybe it's a separator, where if you have two players that are very closely graded, one gives you return upside, one doesn't, that's your tiebreaker. But all the time, whenever we talk prospects, I'm always careful not to major in minor details. You know, we had a great conversation in one of our scouting meetings with the Draft Network recently about Kenyon Green from Texas A&M. And we all agree that he's a guard in the NFL. And one of our staff members was going on and on about how, you know, he's played left tackle and, and how that versatility really, really matters. And you love that about him, that he has position flexibility. And then another one of our staff members said, look, I love that he could play left tackle and he can get you out of a game at left tackle. But you're not drafting Kenyon Green because you think it's really important that he can get you out of a game at left tackle. You're drafting him because of what you think he can be at left guard. And so keep the main thing the main thing, and I think that's important. And to me, it's a bonus. But you can't take a lesser wide receiver because he has return ability over a receiver that's a better player at wide receiver, which is their primary function. Next one comes from Mr. Crawford, and this is a fun question. He said, basically, have there been any examples of you grading someone unexpectedly high who turned out to be great as only you thought or low grades that you correctly predicted to be busts? So I, I don't I don't always love to dunk, um, and that's because I have a lot of misses and and if you hadn't missed and you haven't scouted, that's part of the deal. Look back look back at any of the drafts in the history of the NFL, and you will see a lot of misses. In fact, uh, Eric Turner from Cover One, he put out a tweet, I think on Sunday, and it was the top 20 picks in the 2019 NFL draft. Just the top 20 picks. Only seven of those 20 picks. It wasn't 2019. It was the O.J. Howard year. That must have been 2017. 2017 or 2018. I can't remember exactly when. But only seven of the top 20 picks was still with the team that drafted him. Seven. Teams miss all the time. That's part of the deal. So I I'm, you know, I'm very mindful of those misses. And so I don't I don't talk a lot about my, you know, my dunks, but since it was asked, I'll give you four players that I was higher on than the consensus that have turned out to be really good players and four players that I was lower on than the consensus that have turned out to be below well, uh, below average players. So DK Metcalf, I had as my number seven overall player in 2019. Remember, he went to the end of the second round. A lot of polarizing opinions on him. I think we all can understand that DK Metcalf is one of the most dynamic playmakers in the league. Eric McCoy, the center for the Saints, I had a first-round grade on him in 2019. Justin Reed, who has turned into a really good player for the Texans and just signed a good you know, a nice contract with the Chiefs. I had a first-round grade on him in 2018. And then Chauncey Gardner-Johnson uh, with the New Orleans Saints, who's one of the top like 
hybrid slot safeties in the league. Had a first round grade and on him, and I think he went like the fourth round. So that was a, a nice hit for me. So four of my favorite hits off the top of my head: DK Metcalf, Eric McCoy, Justin Reed, and Chauncey Gardner Johnson. Four players that I was low on, uh, that um, I was appropriately low on. I'll start with Terrell Edmonds, safety for the Steelers, was a first round pick. I had him as a third slash fourth round grade in 2018. Thought he was a developmental player, and um, He's turned out to be a below-average starter that is still looking for a new team right now. Sam Darnold, quarterback, I had a low second-round grade on him. I did not think of him as a franchise quarterback, and uh, I think we've learned that that's true. Same thing with Dwayne Haskins, had a low second-round grade on him. I didn't think he was franchise starting quarterback material. And Tack McKinley, uh, first-round pick of the Falcons, and then he went to, where did he go last year? It was the Browns? He just hasn't, he hasn't panned out. And I had a uh, midday two grade on him, and you know most people thought he was a first round prospect. So those are four of the uh, low grades that I was right about that stand out to me. I didn't do a whole lot of digging there, but off the top of my head, I wanted to share four four of the guys that I had higher than the consensus, and four of the guys that were lower than the consensus that turned out to be correct on my mind. But uh, man, I could talk about a lot of misses if you want. I prefer not to though. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. Thank you to everyone who sent in your outstanding questions. The best way for you to send those in is on Twitter. Shoot me a DM at the Joe Marino. And, um, you know, we got a few more weeks here before the draft. So shoot in whatever you'd like me to talk about here. We'll get to, uh, we'll get to everything I can here on the podcast. So again, Twitter DM is the best spot for you to shoot those. I also will take them over email. Uh, Joe at the draft but I will say I am behind on emails right now. It's been a, a busy stretch here with the, uh, with the draft quickly coming up at the end of the month. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. As always, I kindly ask that you share, subscribe, rate, and review. Have a great rest of your day. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.